Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. going okay how close do we have to be i think this is close enough all right if we're both the same hopefully we'll sound the same um so we weren't recording but now we are because we needed to capture because uh, i thought i've got no banter i've got nothing I've oh got, I, okay nothing i'm nothing i'm just a person in a okay, house so I've been for a long time i think we've spoken about my colonoscopies before yes because I had an extremely clean colon last time i had one i got complimented <laughs> when i woke up a little badge yeah yeah um and I, I'm due for another colonoscopy because I have to go over three years. Right. Um, and I knew it was going to happen because I was thinking, oh, I think I'm getting to the three-year point. And every time I go and see this doctor, he's just no fucks. Like he's <laughs> so like he just you go in and I I said to my chief of staff, hey, I've got this appointment that I've got I have to go to on Tuesday, and then I reckon probably the next week I'm going to have to have. A colonoscopy and he was like you reckon i was like a hundred percent he just yeah. doesn't mess around so anyway i go in um to see dr newen and i sit down and he starts he doesn't even no small talk with him like there's none have you had any bloating how are you feeling it's just like typing yeah and then he goes mm, it's been three years and i go yeah and he goes okay how's next thursday Oh, and it's just as quick as that. Straight in. Straight in. It's almost like he's in love with your colon. I don't know what happens, but so I'm going in next Thursday. Right. Okay. For the colonoscopy, which means I need to drink all that stuff on the Wednesday that makes me oh. shit myself. Yeah. Wow. And then he said he might need to keep me overnight. Oh, that's extreme. Why? Isn't it? Oh, he's got to take samples and things. And sometimes, look, I'm not going to lie. There's been an internal hemorrhoid a couple of times. Ah, okay. Internal, not external. Don't think about my butthole. I always feel like I'm qualified to have this conversation (laughs) with you because guess what arrived in the mail the other day? My poo kit. So, um, yes, you must do that. I will. I've done done one before. So this is my second one. So for those who aren't from our country, what is the poo kit? It, uh, so they do screening the whole country for bowel cancer and yes. you receive, I think it's once you get over 55 or something. So I'm 58, I so. so I don't know. Yeah, it would, that would be right. Um, and they send you a, a kit and you've got a – we talked about this on that episode of the pod where we lost it because remember I told you my friend's a GP. Yes. And so you, you have put, to take two samples. You put your poo them. in the mail. That's right. But yeah. people sometimes put little notes in with them. So yeah. I would love to be there oh, and open same. those and see what they say. But do you know what? So the, I hate more than anything – this is what I hate about – I love going under. Of course, I'm, so do I. Oh, I always try to beat my body and I try to count backwards, see how far I can get. And I always yes. only get to eight. I, I go it. 10, 9, 8. I'm out. Because <laughs> I was trying to be the wittiest patient they've ever had. Oh. I'm like trying to give banter, you know, you're Yeah, so they there, don't you abuse your body while, they, while you're out. <laughs> that hair thing on. There's just no way you look any good. No. And I, but I'm still trying to be witty. So they say, oh, what a lovely patient. Yes. But, then, yeah. <laughs> but I hate when they wake you up. Chanel, yeah. Chanel, have yeah. a biscuit, Chanel. <laughs> Chanel, it's time to wake up. And they always do that. They sing. Why do they? Time to wake up. Have, have a sandwich that's dry oh. and cold. Oh, really cold it. sandwich with a slice of plastic I cheese in it. I hate how aggressive it is. Chanel, yeah. Chanel, wake up. Can't they just let us wake up naturally? No, and they nicer? shake you. 
there's nurses that listen to this, I know. It's Who the way they do that. The, they know they do it. It's the aggressive wake up. There was I thinking I had no banter and then we had all that poo talk we once had again. All of that. You know what you're listening to. Hey, yes. Um, are we allowed to admit that we're recording together? Yes. Okay. We're allowed to be in the same spot. And I hope this is all working well enough for Kirsten. We're Paul at Dee Dee's house, yeah, and that's Kirst... why you can't hear Kirsten. No, but I think a spider just descended from the ceiling. Dee Dee lives in. Don't describe it. No. It's so grand. It's really it's grand. It's just old. It's old. No, it's grand. It's and old. there's definitely ghosts here. Ooh, yes, there are. Um, but it's magnificent. Thank you. But a spider just descended from the ceiling. That's okay. <laughs> Who's going first? I don't mind. After you. Oh, oh that was me clunking my Jesus. knee on the table. All right, I'll go first. Okay. This story, I did it work, but there's a – why are you laughing? I'm not laughing. Okay. I'm not. Have you checked that your recording's working? Yeah. What if – oh, yeah, it is. It's working. Good. Okay, there's a few different people in the story, so I'm going to bring them in one by one. I'm worried I'm closer to my recording thing than you are. Is it, How big is your sound thing? Hang on, we'll do a little check. Is yours coming up at about that big? Oh, I don't – no. Oh. Hang on. I'm going to look at yours yeah, while you're talking and check. So Kirsten, Kirsten, you can – yeah, it's good. Yeah, okay. okay. It's, it's pretty big. Yeah. It's pretty good. good. Okay, so – Kirsten, cut that out. Yeah, Kirsten, cut that bit out. What if I do it like this? Is this better? Have so you then I'm more like radio this. Shows, Richard, our panel op, yeah. every day just before the 3 o'clock news, he captured a bit of me one day going, Kirsten, Kirsten, it's time to go to news or something like that. I don't know what I say. I heard <laughs> he it. He plays it every single day. I heard it. <laughs> and the first time he played it – one of the techs came running in thinking that we'd gone off air or something. There was an emergency because you hear me yelling. Anyway, story. Okay. So the first person I want to introduce you to is David Griffiths. I can't say that surname, Griffiths. Yeah, it's hard, isn't, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He's 39 years old. He'd been married. He'd fathered two children, but he was estranged from his wife. He was unemployed and he was on um, Centrelink, Social Security Benefits. So Australian. Yes, Australian story. Melbourne story, in fact. Uh, He was a long-term drug abuser and ended up homeless around 2015, 2016. Oh, hang on. I'm just going to bring in an early feedback because you've had a druggie before and we we discussed drugs, do you remember? Oh. And Laura sent us a message and she oh. said, in case, remember we didn't know how much a hit oh, of yes. drugs and Oh, yes, I asked people. No one could tell me. I asked a couple of cops oh. and no one could tell me how much drugs were. So Laura said, in case you need to know, a hit of meth is $50 and it'll keep you going for six to eight hours. And she That's said, expensive. quoted her source, source, a friend who is a nurse. Yeah, but 50 bucks. Thinking, 50 bucks for six to eight hours, that's 50 bucks a day. Yeah. That's expensive. It's why they're living on the street, because they can't afford to pay their rent, because they spent it on drugs. Please continue. Wow. I actually was going around asking people how much drugs were, and I really <laughs> understand that that would have looked crazy. It, yes. But, um, yeah, wow, 50 bucks. That's a lot. That's a lot more than I expected. I thought like 20 bucks. Don't bargain them down. Mm. Does it change? Like, does the price fluctuate depending on supply? Maybe if they've cut it with something. 
I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, purity. That's what you're talking about. I, I wonder, hmm, well, if anyone else has little drug tips, let me know because I'm interested to know if it fluctuates and stuff. It's a bit sus. It's it like does sound sus, do you know, but yeah. no. But there's police officers that listen. They know I'm not sus. I'm just interested. Okay, so uh, day, who am I with here? David. David's living on the street. Um, around 2015, 2016, he was begging around the Swanston Street area for those who know Melbourne CBD. Um, But he began living at the back of a rope factory in Footscray. Mm. Mm. The area he was living in, in the rope factory, it was at the back and it was actually an old gas meter room. So um, it formed kind of an alcove and it was about three meters wide and two meters deep. The walls were all brick and there was no opening from the alcove that went into the factory. And it had um, two kind of mesh gates, you know, the ones that you can like loop a chain through and put a lock on. So he was living there. Um, and what he would do is when he slept in there at night, he would he had his own chain. He I don't know how he got their chain off, but he had his own chain and he would pull it around to the inside and right. put the lock on the inside so it was quite a safe little place for him to stay and no one would bother him. I want to ask a question. Okay. Sort of related. And I don't want to come across as insensitive, but sure. if you were living on the streets, yes. I don't want to be like I'm not mocking them or anything or making fun of it, but if you were living on the streets, sometimes when I'm on the train, I look at things, I look at all the buildings, I look at all the little ledges and stuff and think, if I was living on the oh, streets... where would you go? Yeah, like where would you go? And, and when you do that... I don't know where I'd sleep. Sleep would be the issue, but I think I'd sleep somewhere very public which would also be humiliating. But I think that would be the safest thing to do, wouldn't it? I think you're right. And it, it definitely changes your perspective and makes you more understanding of people who yeah. are homeless. And some of them choose to be. But um, there's a, a near Flinders Street Station, there's like a bridge and there's an area underneath that. I think I know live. what you're talking about. And I think because if you live together, I would be inclined to probably sleep with other people who are sleeping rough. Because oh, then would you? Yeah, but then I think, how would you make it cosy? Because my natural instinct is to make it a cosy home. You would and get bits of cardboard and stuff. And I also think about homelessness. People think, oh, how do you end up there? But I think people don't realise how easy it yep. is to end yep. up homeless. Yep. It's well, so easy. Imagine you're 13 years old, dad's gone to jail and yep. your mother dies or yep. something or maybe she's Mom's a drug, a drug user. Where do you go? Yep. There's no relative going to take you. Yep. You go to foster go? care, you hate it. That easy. You're yep. on the streets. Yeah. Yep. It's so easy. Couple splits up. The woman kicks the husband out of the house. Where does he go? Yeah. Well, I think what you were saying about being cosy is exactly why David was living in that alcove because it was like his little part of the world. And I was also thinking if it was a rope factory, there must be fibres and something. Maybe it's yeah. cushiony or something. I don't know. Yeah. So well, what you said was it, he had all his possessions in there, his yeah. worldly possessions. It was his little place. Um And he would sleep there at night and beg in the city during the day. The second person I want to bring into this story now is Tanya Burmeister. She's 32 years old. She's the mother of Zoe Burmeister and she has three younger sons, but she doesn't have custody of any of her children. She was unemployed and she was also on Centrelink payments and she's also a long-term drug user. She was also in the habit of begging around Swanston Street, uh, not far up from where David would beg for money. 
Now, because they're begging for money around the same area, they become friendly and the two of them start dating. Mm -hmm. I mentioned Zoe just a moment ago. It's Tanya's daughter. She's 15 and she's also, she's in foster care, Mm. but she hates foster care and she loves her mum. So she often escapes from her foster care just to go and be with her mum, even if that means living on the street. Yeah. Um, Which I think is so, when I heard that, I was, it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. Isn't it? Like she has a warm bed and she's giving it up because she just wants to be near her mum. That's Mm. her it's her mum, and mm. she, if she has to live in the cold and on the street, then she's willing to do that to be with her. So once David and Tanya start dating, um, David invites Tanya and Zoe to stay with him in the alcove so they can all be safe, and they would sleep in there at night, pull the chain in, put the lock on, and then mm. no one could get to them. The third person I need to bring into this story is Darren Clover. Now, Darren is Tanya's ex. They dated in 2013 and they lived together, but it was a chaotic relationship. Um, The issue being, though, that Darren never stopped loving Tanya Mm -hmm. and he never stopped loving her to the point where he was obsessed with her dangerously obsessed with her so darren's also homeless he's living on the streets of um of melbourne and he's begging in the cbd also and he's not happy that tanya and david are dating it makes him depressed and angry i think he ended up in hospital at one point and he's so angry about the situation that he starts threatening tanya and david now i have to say at this point Tanya and David are known on the streets. They're known by shopkeepers. They're known by members of the Salvation Army. And there are people that are checking in on them. And Tanya had um, verbally expressed that she was worried about um, Darren and his threats. Um, In February 2017, Darren had a verbal argument on the street with David and Tanya. Mm -hmm. He was screaming at them. He was arguing with them. And that fight ended with him saying to Tanya, you will always be mine and no one else will have you. Ooh. Right? Red flag. Red flag. It's a massive red flag. That entitlement to another human. It's horrible. No one owns another human. No, it's horrible and disgusting. Mm. So not long after this, I think it was only just a few days, um, Darren caught a train. Uh, He was captured catching this train um, and he went to a service station and he bought $2 worth of petrol. Darren then went to the alcove. It was nighttime. He splashed the petrol around the base of the alcove and he set it on fire. Oh. No one saw the fire being lit. This but is coming back to me now. It yeah. will come back oh, to you. No, I know. You know, I didn't want to ask you at the start if you knew the story because I no. thought it would come to you. When you mentioned the daughter. Yeah. It's something, Mm. yeah, okay. No one saw the fire being lit, but there were a number of eyewitnesses in the vicinity because the fire was huge. It was shortly after 11 o'clock. A man was returning from walking his dog and he heard a loud noise coming from the direction of the alcove. He saw um, fire and he saw a male stand up and walk away from the area and then run over into a laneway directly across from the factory. Another man looked out his window. He could see fire on the ground and on the door, on the the doors and the gates of the alcove, but um, it didn't appear to be inside the alcove. Mm. He said the fire was spreading very fast across the door and the ground, like there was petrol or something, and the fire spread up and down across the door from right to left. At 11.25, so five minutes after this, a taxi driver had ret- uh, was turning 
kind of down the back of the factory and he saw a small fire um, in the opening of the building. He mm. didn't see anyone there, but he thought he was the first to see it. So he filmed the fire um, on his phone because it looked just suspicious. It looked weird. So he started filming it. Yeah. Um, at 11.28, three minutes after first observing the fire, he realised that there was no fire trucks or anything coming. So he starts calling triple zero. Um, and it's at that point after he called triple zero that he says he could hear male and female voices crying out for help inside no, the alcove. No, Several other neighbours and passers-by saw the fire in its early stages, some of whom heard screams for help and explosions from inside the alcove as the fire rapidly spread. David, Tanya and Zoe were all inside the alcove. The chain was pulled inside and the gate was locked, which they did obviously for their safety. Yeah. But it meant because the fire spread so rapidly. Yeah. And you have to remember with fire as well, it's not just about the liquid, it's about the fumes. So once you light a fire, it accelerates yeah. further into where the fumes have gone. So that whole alcove went up in flames. With the petrol fumes and... And with everything, maybe something residual yeah. from the yeah. manufacturing. With his $2 worth of petrol. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, while they locked themselves inside, it actually meant that they couldn't find the keys quick enough yeah. to undo the lock and get out. So they were burning alive. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. Darren was arrested a few days later. Police found him on the streets begging. He told them Tanya had pulled his heartstrings for months he lied about going to the alcove on the night. He said he went there only because he needed to give David petrol as part of an agreement they had. He was charged with the murders of all three of them. So all three died? All three died. Yeah. The judge said the repercussions of your actions have been devastating and far-reaching. Um, this story is, I think, really important because it's a reminder that people that you see on the streets begging mm. have families mm. that love them and care for them and just because they're on the street it doesn't mean they don't have anyone mm. it just could mean that that family is at a loss to help that person yeah um and this was a real stark reminder of that so alan and gloria griffiths um obviously related to to David mm. said that the anguish and the heartbreak they felt upon being told of their son's death continues to haunt them, mm. especially after learning of the gruesome way in which he died. Despite David becoming a street dweller, he never ceased to be cher to be a cherished member of their family. They feel their lives will never be the same. Brad Burmeister, who's the father of Tanya and the grandfather of Zoe, spoke of his most recent contact with his daughter, which was just four weeks before her death. He said of Tanya and Zoe that they were more like sisters than mother and daughter and that his mind is consumed by what-ifs. He has had to seek psychological help to cope with the grief and the loss of both of Tanya and Zoe. He said each of the victim's families... They didn't deserve this. None of us do. He feels consumed by guilt and anger, but mostly his heart constantly aches for Tanya and Zoe. Um, David, sorry, Darren Clover pleaded guilty. Mm -hmm. He received 30 years behind bars with oh, a wow. non-parole period of 24 years. Is that a fair sentence? Mm, it's three lives. It's yeah. a lot. 
How old is he? 30. Was he in his 30s, did you say? Mm, yeah, he's... Uh, Darren was... Yeah, they're like late 30s, early 40s. Mm, maybe it's not enough because that's conceivable. He can get out, you know, in his maybe 10 years 60s. And... for each life. I feel like it needs... Yeah. You bought petrol, you went there. Yeah, intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, I remember hearing um, during the coverage of the court about that, the, as you mentioned at the beginning, that there was no doorway out yeah. of the alcove and so they were effectively stuck in Stuck. It's <gasps> awful. What a nightmare. To- absolutely awful. That would be the worst way to die. Yeah, wouldn't it? But I think it, you know... I think there's a lot of misconceptions about people that live on the street and I think people just think, oh, they just sit on the street and they just beg what problems in the world do they have, they take money from the government, blah, 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 blah. But I think that story, horrific and tragic, is such a reminder that these people, they've got their own problems, they've got their own families. Everyone's got a story, haven't they? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Mm. All right, well, I've, I've given plenty of warning. There's been weeks of warning that this is going to happen. Oh, no. And now it's... And here's another thing. You know, on my radio show during the week, one of my guests, who's a journalist, she did a German accent on did my she? show. And I was really frustrated because I thought, I've been banned from doing accents. And she so yeah, we were speaking about Volkswagens, and she did a German accent. Oh, my God. Did you see someone Someone called us racist? Oh, really? Yeah. Where? On our Facebook page. Why are we racist? Because Aren't you racist if you hate a particular race? Who no, because hate? of the accents. <laughs> <laughs> Who they we were hate? like, I just, and you know, I don't ever look at them, but I happen to, I was looking for our episode and you know if you scroll to the bottom of iTunes, it, yeah. there's like the reviews are there. Oh, it was the last one there and it was like disgusting racist <laughs> accents, one star. One star. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I did think, oh, no, Dee Dee's got that Japanese one. Is this what it is? It's the Japanese it's one, the isn't Japanese it? It's the Japanese I reckon I know what murderer this is too. Oh, really? Yeah, because I saw the story and then I don't know why I'm pointing at you like this yes, really aggressively. aggressively. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I saw the story and I thought, hmm, I should do that. And then I thought, oh, I reckon this is Dee Dee's no, Japanese one. I'm not sure because it's not a recent story. Okay. Not at all. No, no, no. This, it's the story I saw wasn't recent either. Yeah. Um, is he a serial I just killer? want to address that. How, like, how... how Oh, the racist comment? Yeah, if we if we are racist, I don't know. My dad's Maltese and my mum's Sri Lankan. It would be yeah. very difficult for me to be racist. It's kind of hard to. Yeah, okay. I'd have to be. I'd have to really single someone out to be racist because I'm covering yeah. continents with my ethnicity. You are, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, thank God. Major for you ones, and Asia and, and Europe. And so what have I got left? <laughs> I just have to hate Americans. I've got a lot of Europe, Danish, which I don't. I think I've got. Sweden or somewhere. Yeah, we'd have to really nut it. There's a lot of stuff. Niche Uh, racists we'd have to be. My dad used to work in Japan. Anyway, look, just to show you that people do want us to do these stories. Yes. This one's actually from uh, Jen, who's a journo I used to – her actual name is Jen Chirai, but she's a journo I used to work with when I first started in the newsroom. wish Kirst was here. Fox for the accent. Oh. oh no! No, I won't do too much. Okay. Um, so Jen suggested this one to me, okay. and she said it's it's maybe a bit too much when you read what this person did. Okay, but never too much. Oh, can I just say, please? There was a story that I 
prepare or I was right I was reading it I was writing it writing it in a way you know to to tell the story and I I've forgotten the name I had to no I didn't stop I wrote the whole story but I got to the end of it and I thought I actually can't do it on the pod it was a um, a teenage girl she and her sister uh, I think the father died the mother fostered there or they went to live with this woman yeah and the woman already had um, other children living in the house, other teenagers. And she endured years and years and years of the most horrible abuse. And I'm writing and going, oh, my God, oh, my God, they've done that to, to the point where she died in the end. And it oh. was just – there was nothing in it. I, ca- I can't even bring myself to tell it to you. I'll, try, I'll look up the name later oh, in case anyone okay. wants to read it. But it was just oh. – Anyway, I have for you today the story of Sade Abe. What? Sade Abe. All right, wait, say the name normally. I think it's Sada Abe. Sada Abe. Yeah, and I'm going to have that confusing thing where the surname and the first name. I love that we went from broadcast voices to your Japanese accent, so we went like Sada Abe. (laughs) (laughs) Just to show I'm professional. Yes, okay. So Shigeyoshi, I won't do accents all the way through. Shigeyoshi and Katsu Abe were the parents, very well off. They were living in the Kanda neighborhood in Tokyo. This is way back. Have I ever told you the story? (laughs) What? About um, a yeah, he was a Chinese murderer. Oh, this is a quick side note on yep. accents, right? Yeah, and I won't name people just in case this gets back to the person that said it. Anyway, so <laughs> there was a particular murderer. It was quite horrific. Um, I'm trying to think. Anyway, long story short, we'd been covering this story for ages, yeah. and we'd just been saying his name like Jai Lao, right? Yeah. Anyway, so this journo turns up from one of the, uh, not the main networks, anyway, and she turns up at court and she's like, oh, actually, I speak Mandarin, blah, 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 and was really keen to show off her Mandarin skills. And so she's like, how are we all saying the name? And we're in court at this point, right? There's like the victim's family there, everyone's there. And I'm like, oh, I think it's Jai Lao. And she was like, oh, no, it's Shai Lao. Oh, and she starts no, saying, no, yeah, And she no. starts saying it like Samurai Pizza Cats, like with that energy, you know. Like she was like, it's Shai Lao. And, she, and I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, stop saying it, stop. And she kept saying it with that accent in court, like just screaming the murderer's name in, in an accent. She's me another body. She was you. Yeah, I love in it. In court. It was mortifying. And Good now honor. every time we see her, we always go, Shai Lao. There was a newsreader by the name of George Janikian. Have yes. you ever heard of him? Yes. He was famous for for his pronunciation of Italian and Greek. Greek. Very oh, good on no. the accent. And he would really wrap his tongue around. See? He was known for it. They just show off like an, like an auntie at church that always exactly. tries to say the words louder than everyone else. I know the words to this yes. hymn and yes. the tune. I don't even and, know the tune. And they, and, look at, and they look around. They don't even look like they've got the booklet open with the words, but they look around to make a point of going, I'm not looking at the words. I'm seeing without even looking I at it. I know it. it. <laughs> 
So this is back in the 1900s, early 1900s. Oh, way so Shigeyoshi and Katsu had eight children. Only four of them survived to adulthood, but their youngest one was a daughter. Her name was Sada. Can I ask a question? And I'm not being racist. Which one is the male? Which one is the female? Uh, Katsu is the mother. Okay, and Shigeyoshi great. is the father. Yeah. Uh, so Sada was born in 1905, and when she was born, Shigeyoshi was 52. So the dad was 52. Oh. A very honest man, fine, and the mother was a fine, upstanding citizen. Both of them were. They were good people. Great. Their son, Shintao, was a womanizer and he stole his parents' money. Oh. Another one of the daughters, Teruko, she had several lovers, so to punish her, her dad sent her to work in a brothel. What? Yeah, I know. There's a lot of odd things happen, but anyway. uh, she eventually. if you like it that much, go make a living out of it. Yeah, you're going to be a loose woman. Go, go be a loose woman. Get rammed the whole time. It's very wow. strange. Yeah, unusual, isn't oh, it? Oh, well, I guess it's like, you know, when you when your parents catch you smoking and, and they go... smoke a whole pack. Sit down. Yep. You're about to have some fun. So young Sada was adored by her mother. She was sent to singing lessons. She learned to play the shamisen, which is that three-stringed yes. instrument that's a bit like Sounds a, beautiful. Um, a Japanese ukulele. Yes, yeah. it does. Yes, mm. you immediately feel very zen, don't you? You do. Now, so because Sada's brother and sister Taruko and Shintaro were causing problems, Sada was often alone at home and okay. she fell in with a grab, bad, bad group of teenagers. I did this yesterday. I could not speak. Every word I tried to say, I said wrong. Um, That's why. What's that? Period. Do you think it's a period thing? <laughs> <laughs> when she was 14, that's my theory. When she was, all right, stop laughing, serious now. Okay. When she was 14, this, mm-hmm. she'd fallen in with this bad crowd and one of them raped her. Oh. So she was quite a difficult teenager, um, very irresponsible. She became uncontrollable. So her parents sold her to a geisha house in Yokohama in 1922, hoping that that would straighten her out. Again, unusual. So Sada didn't mind that. She wanted to be a geisha, but to okay. be a proper geisha, you had to have started training right from childhood. Yes, you they do. Have... bind your feet and things. That's a whole different thing. Is different, it? And probably a different culture. I think you'll find that's the Chinese. Is it? And yes. Are you sure? I don't think Japanese did it. But again, we can check so that we're not racist. You go right on ahead and Google. I'm Google. Foot binding. I think it was a Chinese custom. Let's not confuse our should we actually cut this out we should cut it out if i'm wrong <laughs> definitely definitely cut it out if i'm no, wrong it's frantic googling going on and i'm waiting for it uh do in the meantime i'll tell you what geisha said to do they had to study arts and music right. i'm totally wrong right no. foot binding has never been practiced in japan thank you i thought geishas did that no, but they do have lots of rituals and, and things that they yes. had to learn. Okay. So because Sada had come to it probably a bit late, she was a teenager, she never did terribly well. She was quite a low-ranked geisha. And what that meant was one of her main duties was to have sex with clients. And she oh. did that for five years. She eventually got syphilis. And oh. she then realised that she would actually be able to make a bit of money out of this if she worked at as, as a licensed prostitute. Okay. There was a bit of money. So the brothel where she worked is in Osaka's famous Tobita brothel district, which I didn't know about till just then. And even there she got a reputation as a bit of a troublemaker. She stole money from clients. She tried to leave several times, but they found her and they brought her back. After two years, she escaped the brothel and she got a job as a waitress. 
Okay. But the pay was crap, and so she went back to working as a prostitute. Now, Sada's mother died in 1933, so she went back to Tokyo to visit her father. Okay. And while she was there in Tokyo, she took up prostitution again, and then her father became sick, and she nursed him until he died. Mm. So not long after her father's death, Sada was arrested when she was working at an unlicensed brothel, and a guy named Kinosuke... Kasahara. You're really good at it. There's though. no accent. I'm just no, saying it. No, but you're very good at stick the pronunciation. that on your Google thing with one star. Yeah, one star racist. Well, that's a two star pronunciation, right? There. I think so. So this guy Kinosuke was a friend of the brothel owner. A little bit of an accent, just a tiny bit there. Okay, uh, a friend of the brothel owner bailed her out of jail, and she became his mistress. Oh, right. So they moved in together, and he said. She was really strong, a powerful one. Oh. Which is just making, reminding me of when G- Ricky Gervais spoke about the woman in the wheelchair as the little one. Remember <laughs> say things like that. Anyway, the, a powerful one. Even though I am pretty jaded, she was enough to astound me. She wasn't satisfied unless we did it two, three, or four times a night. To her, it was unacceptable unless I had my hand on her private parts all night long. Oh. At first, it was great. But after a couple of weeks, I got a little exhausted, said Kinosuke. Would you or would you not stay with a man who referred to your vagina as your private parts? Well, um, I said sneaky log monster the other week, so <laughs> I don't say that to Nicholas. Like you but... want at least the man to know and love the part of the body, not just call it yes. your, your private parts. Maybe something got lost in translation. I don't, I don't know. know. Okay. So Sada was super keen, obviously, because she's humping him and he's getting a bit tired, a little bit yeah, tired. he's exhausted. Uh, of Kasahara. So, but she wanted him to marry her. He was married. Oh. And he wouldn't leave his wife. There's so, a lot of adultery going on. A lot. She left him. He then called her a slut and a whore and a woman who men should fear. She then said he treated her like an animal. Needless to say, it wasn't a, a happy It's confusing split. about who's going to die here. I just don't know. I know. Yeah, it's confu- it is, yeah. yeah. Stay with me. 1935, Sada got a job in a restaurant and she became romantically involved with one of the customers there, a man by the name of Goro Amiya. Okay. Goro Amiya. Uh, he was a professor and a banker. Strange mm-hmm. combo, but there you are. I'm just seeing dollar signs. Yeah. So the restaurant didn't want the staff doing the clients. So sure. they got rid of her. So she left the restaurant and she went back to Tokyo. She and Goro Amiya continued their relationship. Um, but when he found out that she had syphilis, he paid for her to go and stay at a hot springs in Kusatsu. Hoping I said that right. Why? Don't give another bad review, please. After that, uh, so they still kept this relationship. Okay. She's recovered from her syphilis. He suggested that she open a restaurant. So she went to work as an apprentice at the Yoshidaya restaurant, mm-hmm. which specialised in eel dishes. Oh, I can't deal with eels. It's an unnecessary detail, but I thought it was a jolly talking no, point for us. No, I just I hate the way they move through water. I, I hate yeah. it. How, do they, how does it happen? Too there's, slippery. There's nothing and, propelling them, right? I don't think so. And are they... How do they move? How do they stay? I need to get a picture. Would they be very fishy? Well, there's the ones in the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. Have you seen them? Yeah, they're terrifying as well. They're actually terrifying. Yeah, there's nothing. And I don't mind snakes. I don't mind snakes, but I do not want to know about eels. It's just, I don't understand how they swim. Yeah. 
Well, sideways, sideways, wiggle, wiggle. Uh, It was unnecessary to mention the eel, I just wanted to. It wasn't long before the owner of the restaurant where Sada was doing her apprenticeship, um, and he was a bit of a a womaniser, Ishida was his name. Don't show me pictures of eels. I don't, that's a big killer eel. No, that's big with a face. Why does it need to have such big eyes? It's fucking terrifying, isn't it? It's disgusting. The ones in the Botanic Gardens are like just black logs yeah they're like petrol black too yeah it's horrible horrible and they move on mass don't they they do all right so the owner of the restaurant ashida a bit of a womanizer and it wasn't very long before he made a move on sada and so they just went for it at one stage they get humping like rabbits they stayed in bed for two weeks they were drinking sake they were having sex eventually um he went back to his restaurant and sada missed him she hit the bottle she was drinking too much yeah right Um, she said that with him with ashida she had come to know true love for the first time in her life and the thought of him get this bit he's got a wife the thought of him going back to his wife why does everyone have a fucking wife oh they all do why is he doing her why is she doing him no one sees her as wife material that's why we have to not um i thought it was going to rain it is raining um we have to not judge people do we everyone does different things i'm not going to judge but they think that she's slutty yeah that's why they are all having fun with her they're not leaving their wives for her no they're just spending two weeks in bed with her where was the wife oh i don't know um so he's he's back sort of with the wife still seeing uh sada so she pawned some of her clothes and she used the money to buy a kitchen knife you're getting a hint of who might red flag the next time they were in bed together she playfully put the knife to the base of ishida's penis oh no and she no she loves him she's not gonna do anything i think that any man would not associate that action with the word playful well interesting because he actually laughed oh and he she was said it. yeah oh and no she, yeah he's a the, no judgments here oh, you can do whatever you want in the privacy of oh, your own bedroom or it's you're... so funny that you have that knife right next <laughs> yeah. to my penis how hilarious and she had even said to him as she was doing it that uh she'd make sure he'd never play around with another woman and he laughed he thought that it was a game i reckon it was a nervous laugh <laughs> 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 it wasn't like ah it was like huh <laughs> oh, yeah. his pain <laughs> on its own accord moved back about five oh, centimeters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so retreated. They're still fine, and despite okay. that, they had sex for two days, and oh. then she started choking him oh. during sex again. No judgment, and he told her to keep doing it. He was into it. This is that thing, that erotic asphyxia thing. Yes. Okay. So, so she's got a sash wrapped around his neck to stop him breathing during orgasm. This gets quite fruity here. Turn, turn the, do you think um, Abbasma and Sabina are still listening? Or they're uh, Sabrina? They're, um, they're old enough to hear this, aren't they? They're fine. They've Googled I, worse than this. Don't people's... Tr- anyway. Okay, so... Um, Have you re- Everyone's reading that Normal People book at the moment and watching Normal People on Netflix. Have you heard oh, about this? No, it's it's it full yet. of sex. I can't... Yeah, it's wild. Right. So I think every 15-year-old is reading that at the moment. I don't so ever want fine. to do this, but people do it. I, okay. It's not for me, but okay. whatever. So they're doing this thing with the sash tied around, stopping breathing. They did it for two hours. But apparently – was that my shoes making a squeaking No, that was me was making you. a choking noise. <laughs> <laughs> it was my shoes squeaking. 
Um, so they'd done it for two hours, but when they were done, apparently Ishida's face was distorted somehow what? and it wouldn't go back to normal. What they, do you mean? Like she had a stroke? Well, no, this is him. Oh, sorry. Uh, maybe I they confused. damaged a nerve or something with all the two hours of choking and orgasming and all the rest of it. So The wind changed. Yes. And he was in a bit of pain. So he took 30 tablets of a sedative called Calmotin. So Sada said that as he started to fall asleep, he said to her, you'll put the cord around my neck and squeeze it again when I'm sleeping, won't you? And again, with the laugh. Oh. (sighs) (laughs) And then he said, if you start to strangle me, don't stop because it's so painful afterward. So... But this is only on her account, right? This is Yes, you're right. So, well, we don't know yet what's going to happen to him. Keep the mystery going. Sorry. So she wondered, when he said that, she wondered whether he actually wanted her to kill him. And we have had stories before where that happens. But um, she decided then he was only joking because of all the quipping and japing that's been going on, all the gags that they've been cracking together as they strangle each other and calm and all the rest of it. So at about 2 o'clock in the morning... We're now May the 18th, 1936. Sure. Ishida was sleeping. Yeah. Me, 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 me. Sada wrapped her sash around his neck and she strangled him to death. Okay, great. She lay with his body for a few hours. Then she cut off his penis and testicles, wrapped them in a magazine cover and kept them in her kimono. She used his blood to write on his thigh and on the bed sheets Ishida no kishi futakiri, futari kiri. Ishida no kishi futari kiri, which means we sada. Everything in this story is like an extreme. Yep. Uh, she said, basically it said we are alone. Like she didn't just, it's just like, oh, you want to sleep around? Go to a whorehouse. Yeah. I've got some pain. Take 30 tablets. I'm going to kill someone. Yeah, why 30? I'm not just going to strangle them. I'm going to chop their dick off and Have a write shit and just be <laughs> lay with his body. I'm going all out. Everyone's She's not done yet. full on. Oh. She's not done. Oh. She carved her name into his left arm. She dressed in his underwear what? and left in the morning to meet up, meet up with her former lover. This is Goro. She's still wearing his underwear? Yep. Goro oh. and me, and she's still got a penis in magazine wrapped it in her kimono. Uh, she met up with the former lover, Goro Omiya, who was the guy from the restaurant. Okay. The first restaurant. Oh, the yes. customer that, sent that her she got with yeah. the syphilis to the spa. That's it. So eventually, Ashida, who's quite a wealthy man, his body was found by his staff. They've started this search for Sada, and the whole country, the media were onto it. People all knew about it, and there was this thing called Aba Sade panic because everyone knew it, that this crazy woman was out oh. there and, yeah, probably oh. carrying the penis. Like putting the sirens. And there were. <laughs> The lady. There were reports from of sightings of her all over the country. There was one false sighting in the the Ginza. I'm not sure what, where that actually is, but it caused a stampede and this big traffic jam. People just thought she was in the area, and they all just wanted to get out of there. So she had actually, by this stage, changed her name. She was staying at an inn, which probably is a motel, isn't it? Mm. In Shinagawa. She had a massage, she drank three bottles of beer, and then she unwrapped the paper containing Ishida's penis and scrotum. She said that she felt very attached to them. And she said later, I put his penis in my mouth. No, no, you didn't. Yes, it did happen. And even tried to insert it inside me. No. It didn't work, however, though I kept trying and trying. (gasps) She decided to... You know why it didn't work? 
Why? Because it wasn't attached to its owner anymore. Well, and it's probably just like a... Flaccid. Yeah, an uncooked sausage. She decided to climb, uh, jump off a cliff while holding the penis. No. (laughs) Extreme. See how extreme this is? I know. Before she had a chance to do that, though, the police turned up at her room and when they asked her, because she was using a different name, they weren't entirely sure that it was her. And this is 1930s, so, you know, they haven't got good identification of it. Um, They asked for proof that she was her, so she whipped out the penis as proof. That's a fair amount of proof. So they asked her why she had cut off the, the, the cock and balls and she said... Because I couldn't take his head or body with me. I wanted to take the part of him that brought back to me the most vivid memories. And they asked her why she killed him and she said, I loved him so much, I wanted him all to myself. But since we were not husband and wife, as long as he lived, he could be embraced by other women. Isn't that cute? Embraced by. I mean, really. Come Um, on. I knew that if I killed him, no other woman could ever touch him again. So... I, for, for reasons unknown to me, Ishida's penis and testicles were moved to the Tokyo University Medical School Pathology Museum. They the museum? Put, yes. They were put on public display. Are there pictures? I don't know. What's the museum? Well, they disappeared at the Tokyo University Medical School. Put Ishida, I-S-H-I-D-A. Ishida penis. I, what was it? I-S-H-I-D-A. Penis may not come up because they were on public display, but then after World War Two they disappeared. So nobody really knows where they are now. Indeed, if you want to see penis and testicles, there's other sites you can look up. Chanel, mm. there's nothing. <laughs> okay, uh, at her trial, you're right. I just wanted to see how it was. I just displayed. want to know what came up. Did you put penis in your search terms? Yeah. What it's came just up? Nothing. Nothing. It's just coming up with pictures of her. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, At her trial, which started on November 25, 1936, the judge admitted being sexually aroused by some of the evidence. She told the court how much... I love how you were speechless for a moment there. I have to describe what just happened. Shana was looking at me and then she just looked away and looked out the window into the middle distance for a moment. Were you trying to think how to judge in no, any I'm of your cases? I'm so disgusted by that, that a judge would never do that. Do you think a judge has ever been up there with a stiffy while it's been... I mean, never. No. Well, this one was. Um, she told the court how much she loved Ishida. Yeah, that's why you killed him. Uh, she was convicted of murder and mutilation of a corpse. Now, she asked them for the death penalty. Oh. But instead, they sentenced her to just six years in prison. What? She was released early. Oh, a little bit early. I think she must have been in custody for a year. So five years later, she was released, 1941. She changed her name and went on with her life. And she wrote her autobiography. It's called Memoirs, uh, Memoirs of Arbasat. Abe Sada. What? That was published in 1948. And she did a travelling one-man show. Uh, She lived a very low-profile life after that in Tokyo for about 20 years and then she uh, disappeared from the public eye in 1970. Eventually, apparently, she shaved off all her hair and went to live in a nunnery and there have been at least five films based on her rather exciting life. And that is the story of Sada Abe. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vella and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.